By watching or listening to this show, you are acknowledging that you are of legal age to purchase and consume cannabis in your region. This production is for adults only. Very pleased to welcome to the program today the Associate General Counsel at Green Lane. Uh, Dan Shapiro is joining us. Dan, thanks very much for being on the program. How are things? Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Things are great. Okay, let's start. Uh, I, I always start uh, with one kind of similar question to every single guest who comes on the show because, you know, for most of us, we did something a little bit different before we got into the cannabis industry, particularly here in Canada where legalization is uh, just over a couple of years old. But what did you do before you joined uh, kind of the cannabis space with Greenlane? So uh, I went to law school out of college. I'm an attorney. And in law school, I worked for a sports agency called Rock Nation Sports. It's Jay-Z Sports Agency. And after law school, I decided to work in in-house at a private equity firm. And I worked on a number of different companies within my broader company. And the specialized nature of what I did was really work with highly regulated spaces. So a lot of different financial companies, healthcare, aviation, uh, sports entertainment as well, and realized that I ultimately wanted to move back into more of the sports and entertainment world and, and left to go work for another sports agency called CAA Sports. And I worked there for a year when I realized that cannabis was the future for me. It combined all of the things that I was interested in, whether it was working in highly regulated spaces, whether it was the intersection, which of course we'll talk about with the entertainment and sports world. Uh, It touches into the food world. It's just so multidisciplinary that for me, having the opportunity to jump in at the time, which was uh, about two years ago. And when I started wanting to make the move about two and a half years ago, I thought the future was so bright that if I didn't jump in, uh, I might miss the entry point. So I love uh, that, you know, you, you saw a kind of, uh, you know, an opening and combining something that you're really passionate about. Um, but I just want to quickly, you know, I, I worked in the sports media business for 22 plus years. I absolutely loved it. It was great. I got some great memories out of it. But you had the chance to work with two pretty high profile and uh, pretty well-known agencies. I'd imagine as a sports fan yourself, you must have some really, really fun memories and, and you know, some, some great times from that, uh, from your past career. Yeah, I'm a fanatical sports fan and, and I don't use that term lightly. Um, and to be able to work for, for those types of companies to work for, uh, the agent who I worked for at rock nation, her name is, uh, Kim Miali. She is fantastic. Uh, I think the best agent in the NFL. I think the results speak for themselves with the deals she's done for Ronnie Stanley, uh, the deals she's done for Saquon Barkley, Des Bryant. Um, and it was an amazing experience. And then to be able to go to CAA and see all of the different things that they were doing from their merchant bank, uh, Evolution Media Capital that dealt with all of the media rights negotiations that is really going to become, I think, the the key storyline of the next five years of sports. You saw it recently with the NFL. Um, 
it it was really cool for me and it it was a dream come true and i don't think i would have been able to live my life without having at least a couple of years experience doing something like that yeah, that's very cool. All right, so we chatted on One Hitters about your uh, first uh, experience with cannabis, and people can uh, check that out. It will come out uh, later this week. But let's just talk about in general, you know, when and why did cannabis become a part of your personal life, you know, after that first time? Some some people have that first time, and then they take a break, and then they come back to it. You know, what was a, what was when did cannabis become kind of a regular part of your life, and why? So I would say, as I, I mentioned, the first time was uh, in high school. And I would say throughout high school, I continued to consume 98% in the smoking capacity, a little bit in the edible uh, world. But it really was in college where it, it took off to another level. And for me, it was always just about, I was never a huge drinker outside of socially. I was never someone who cracked a beer by themselves, had a drink by themselves to watch a game. That was just nearly never my MO. And for the first time in my life, as I went to college and was away from my, my family and um, ultimately started to live by myself or at least have access to different people's apartments, it just always was something I liked doing. But growing up in Manhattan and in apartment buildings, it's a little trickier to consume and, and you know remember it would be a lot easier right now so this was pre-vaporization technology at a high level in any way shape or form this is way before um you know 90 percent of the products that we distribute so you're really looking at a classic water pipe or a classic joint and in apartment buildings when you're 15 16 17 it's a little difficult <laughs> and walking around manhattan um was at the time still about four or five years before the police were told to let it ride a little bit, which culminated in the past month uh, with a full, uh, you know, let it ride um, mantra post-legalization. But it, it really just came down to the fact that I, I always responded really well to it. I had friends who who had some bad reactions or they didn't like being high because they were antisocial or it made them go to sleep. And for me, I kind of always felt like I knew what I was getting from it. I it, it had the ability to simultaneously relax me, but I never felt bad the next day afterward. Uh, I could still be social. Uh, I'm very talkative. And, and sometimes I, I like to think that, um, the extra sense or two that I sometimes don't want to say, cannabis will will help me uh, not say. And mm -hmm. as I've gotten older, I, I've, I've been able to do it without that. But at the time, I, I think it sometimes in a weird way matured my uh, discourse by, by slowing things down. I was always a very quick speaker. I had a lot to say. I wanted to get my opinion in there. Um, so I think kind of all those things combined to just create an experience for me that I, I always felt very comfortable with. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people said, you know, both, you know, like years ago, you know, I, I grew up in the, uh, the nineties is when I started using cannabis and people would say, Oh, I smoked and it just made me tired. Well, because we didn't really know anything, uh, about what we were getting, like, here's the bag of weed. I'm going to go get high. Now we have so much more information about different cultivars, 
uh, and, and the different uh, kind of, uh, I guess, deter- intended uh, experience, although we're all different, uh, but we do have kind of a generalization and, and so much more information. And you mentioned your home state of New York has gotten on the legalization train. We, we kind of joked on this show that once New York saw New Jersey legalizing, they were like, we don't want to be left behind. We're going to do it. But what took so long in New York, do you think? So the political infighting in New York is ultimately what what took so long. And there's there's a difference of opinion uh, which side of the aisle was responsible for it. I, I think both of them were for different reasons. I think ultimately New York, because of Manhattan and because the eye of the world and the eye of the country is often so focused on what New York City and what New York does, it can sometimes create a paralysis that other states don't have because they can move a little bit under the radar. Uh, you don't see sports gambling in, in New York the way you do in other states like New Jersey. Again, just a negligent omission considering how people are living their lives and the economic circumstance in New York currently. So I, I, it really is a political problem. Um, it, there's a difference of opinion on why uh, I think on on the right, uh, political right, there was a reluctance to include the social equity provisions that really needed to be included there. Um, I think on the left, there was sometimes too much focus on unrealistic expectation related to uh, certain taxation allocation and, and certain um, social equity to the degree to which they could do it and, and the timeline. But that all being said, if you put aside the pure economics, I think the result is actually fantastic and, and is better than some other states. Uh, I'm a little worried just because of what happened in Massachusetts and and New Jersey and, of course, what has happened throughout the West Coast that they might still miss out a little bit. but. I think New York City being New York City is going to be able to capitalize on it, even if being a little bit behind. How about where you are right now in uh, Florida? Um, you know, it's uh, medical cannabis only from what I understand, but uh, it's it's a uh, it sounds like it's growing. I've talked to a few people in the past and they said it's a pretty good uh, cannabis scene. What do you think of it? It's a great cannabis scene. And I when I first moved to Florida uh, a few years ago, it was very early and it still felt like you were in a illegal state that the quality of what you were getting on the black market wasn't great. It was difficult to get a medical card unless you had certain conditions. And even if you had those conditions, the stigma still surrounded it regarding law enforcement because Florida is ultimately in the South and has stricter drug laws um, than than a lot of Northeastern and Western states. Now, the medical scene is incredibly robust. I know so many people with medical cards. It is not particularly difficult to get. Some of the top dispensaries in the U.S. are are here, whether it's Trulieve, Cureleaf, one plant who I mentioned earlier, who uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed their mix of flour product and and uh, cartridges as well uh, move as well as another uh, dispensary and and everything I just mentioned is within 30 minutes uh, of my house so it's it's becoming a really big market and 
I also think what what can't be dismissed too, and and my company is a good example of it, but there are a few others that doing business in Florida right now and compared to a lot of other states is is really advantageous to companies. And I think you're going to see whether it's ancillary uh, products like Greenlane or multi-state operators or or cannabis focused REITs, so real estate trusts, uh, real uh, cannabis focused investment vehicles whether it's hedge fund, private equity, et cetera, I think you're going to see a lot of people come down to Florida who aren't even here yet. So I think it's just the beginning. And this is all before we get to um, adult use legalization, which I think people are optimistic can happen um, in 2022. I My general philosophy of all states is I, I'll believe it when I see it and I tack on a year or two beyond what anyone's best estimate is. And if I'm pleasantly surprised, that's great. Um, so we'll see there. On, on the flip side, as I mentioned, it's not legal for adult use yet. Uh, it did not pass the last time around. There is an effort in the state legislature to put THC caps on cannabis products. Does not look like it's going to get through, thankfully. Um, but nonetheless, there is a concerted effort. And uh, Florida's history on criminal justice, whether it's social equity aspect or just criminal justice in general related to drug and otherwise is less than stellar. So it's not all positive, but I think it's moving in the right direction. Excellent. So the website, as we get into Green Lane now, www.gnln.com. And uh, there we go. We're uh, looking at some of the cool stuff that you have. So tell us about GreenLane. What is GreenLane? And particularly, what is your role with GreenLane? So GreenLane is a global ancillary products business. So we do a host of different things. We have a few different verticals, one in particular, and our, our the core of our business is a distribution company for ancillary cannabis products. We are located and based in Boca, we have offices in the Netherlands, California, and in Toronto. And we distribute both B2C and B2B, a number of the products that you see on the screen. They include water pipes, packaging, vaporization technology, a variety of different vaporizer brands. We have a house brand, no, a house brand called Higher Standards, which has two retail locations, one in Malibu and one in New York City. And you can see the logo down there is HS. Uh, right next to it is another house brand of ours called Vibes, which is a rolling paper brand. And it's fascinating. It's a joint venture with the rapper Burner, who is the CEO and founder of Cookies, a major cannabis entrepreneur huge icon in the space, amazing business partner. And all of the brands that you see on the screen, we either own, distribute, or have a partnership with. And it really touches everything from, uh, as I mentioned, all the different types of vaporization products, the packaging that will sell to multi-state operators, uh, our retail presence. And um, ultimately, we're, we're really a house of brands. We're continuing to build our house brands, which is a higher margin internal brand versus distributing third party. But we also do have a robust distribution and e-com presence. 
a lot going on uh that's for sure and you know we're, we we scrolled through those uh the brands and uh there is uh man there, there's a lot and a lot of them that uh uh certainly i recognize and uh that you know i actually have the uh the pax era up there and uh there's a lot of cool i have the banana bros uh around here somewhere for rolling joints because i can't roll right. I, I don't know yeah. what you're like i can't roll <laughs> i just i just pack cones or use the banana bros and things like that so um i i love that you guys work with uh you know not just within the u.s as well you know there's certain certainly some some companies that uh, canadians will recognize and so you guys aren't just based in the u.s no, we're, we're, our main, main business is in the United States, but as I mentioned, we have an, uh, an office in Canada and we distribute all throughout Canada, uh, a number of our products. The only thing that, uh, we don't distribute in Canada, uh, is CBD for, for, uh, regulatory reasons. Um, and we distribute throughout Europe and uh, we distribute in Latin America as well. Uh, of course, all of this is subject to, local regulations depending on where you are throughout the world uh, and to fully answer your question my role i'm the associate general counsel so i work for the general counsel of green lane doug fisher who's fantastic uh, he brought me on uh, almost two years ago now and i pretty much do a little bit of everything legal for the company it's just the two of us and our amazing paralegal nicole and we do everything from monitoring the state regulations on a host of our products from our tobacco products to our hemp derived CBD products to all of our ancillary cannabis products throughout the US, Canada, EU, and a few other areas depending on where we go. We do licensing endorsement deals for a number of products with uh, entertainers, athletes, uh, certain uh, IP holders like Morley Natural, Keith Herring, Jonathan Adler, the fashion designer and, and homeware designer, uh, we did a line of cannabis ancillary products with him that we sold through our higher standards brand, which is our retail store and house brand. The stuff is amazing. If you're a Jonathan Adler fan at all, uh, or even if you don't know who he is, uh, definitely check out higherstandards.com. There's amazing stuff. And then we do everything from website policies, day-to-day -day legal issues, employment stuff, um, any type of intellectual property, uh, a lot of M&A work, managing outside counsel for the host of issues that a company of our size deals with, and really anything that can come up on a daily basis. Wow. Uh, and, and as we all know, uh, especially during these times, a lot can just uh, could just come up on a daily basis. Uh, but something that uh, I, th I was really excited to to hear about when we first started chatting, uh, I want to talk about now. So tell us what the cannabis division within the American Bar Association Forum on Entertainment and Sports Law Industry is. It it sounds. Um, I don't know. It, it sounds very exciting to me. I don't know a whole lot about it, but lay it on us because uh, I love uh, when you can combine uh, entertainment, sports, and cannabis, man. So the American Bar Association is the the main trade association that oversees lawyers in the United States, and they set all different types of policy from licensing to continuing legal education and kind of dictates how you have to operate and behave as an attorney. 
So within the American Bar Association, there are a lot of different forums as subsets that people join as a, a little bit more than a hobby, really as a professional trade association. And within those forums, there's leadership for them. So at the end of my first year of law school, I joined the forum on entertainment and sports law as their law student liaison. And I served in that role throughout law school. Upon graduating, I became the membership chair of the forum. So focused on increasing membership, reaching out to young lawyers, uh, different law firms, law students, trying to get them to join the forum, talk about all of the content that we provide. Uh, we have an annual conference in Las Vegas where we have panels and lawyers can get continuing legal education credit, which is a requirement in the U.S. for your bar membership within the state to stay as a licensed lawyer. And I served in that role until about, uh, I guess, four or five months ago when I was thinking to myself, well, there's no cannabis division at all within the ABA. And that's not limited to within the forum for entertainment and sports, but in general, there's, there is none. There, there are a few smaller panels that existed. There was one small committee related to insurance related issues, uh, but ultimately there was a huge void. So having worked at the time for a little over a year in cannabis and, and my background and passion for sports and entertainment and my role within the ABA, I went to the rest of our board and proposed that we need to get ahead of what's happening with cannabis. There is a lot to be discussed from a legal perspective at the intersection of sports and entertainment. I, I would love to move on from my role as membership chair and start this division. We can be the first division within the ABA. We can do something unique within our forum that's ours. And for me, selfishly, I get to create more content and pursue from an intellectual perspective something I'm passionate about. It's interesting when when most people think uh, when they hear the words cannabis and law, they just think you know jail time or something like that's the thing that pops into people's mind. Has has you know being in cannabis law right now is it like forging ahead through this brave new world or has it always kind of been around? But maybe it's in the forefront now because you know Canada has legalized, Mexico is looking to. I think there's only 14 states that don't have some sort of uh, medical or recreational legalization within the U.S. You know what is is cannabis law like right now? So it's complete new world uh, on a daily basis. Honestly, on a on a on a hourly basis, <laughs> there there are certain aspects. So similarly to my my past in sports law, main thing with sports law, sim, people always think sports law. You're the general manager of a hockey team, or the general manager of a basketball team, or you're drafting a Nike endorsement deal, mm -hmm. and those are subsets. But there's also sports-related mergers and acquisitions, sports-related employment law, sports-related insurance law. So similarly to that, cannabis is a business. And every business has a lot of different types of law within it. The difference with cannabis, though, from everything else is what you described. But in the U.S., which is a bit different than Canada, or not a bit, it's very different than Canada, it's federally illegal. So I think to the average person, that means, well, if I'm consuming, then I'm breaking the law. And what are the criminal justice 
uh, results that could come from that. But what that also means is anything related to banking, real estate, insurance are complicated. So any transaction that you're dealing with, it's just gonna be a little bit more complicated. That doesn't even take into account the regulatory changes. That doesn't take into account, as you mentioned, interacting in Canada, which is a whole other host of legal issues, some of which are a lot more positive than the US, federally legal, some of which are a little more complicated with some of the provincial differences and some of the lack of alignment between them. And then you have the EU where, for the most part, it is not very cannabis friendly. It's not very hemp-derived CBD friendly. And in certain countries, not very uh, uh, tobacco product friendly either. So for me, balancing all of that is difficult from a legal perspective because it's not stationary. And I think the way that American lawyers are taught to operate is to make decisions based on precedent. And what that means is how has it been done in the past? And are you comparing your facts to the situation there to the extent they're similar and it's advantageous to you? you can decide that way. And to the extent it's different, you adopt diff slightly different opinion or result based on. Problem here is there's really not similar facts. The, the most comparable thing you could look at is the alcohol industry in the early 1900s. Tobacco is not remotely comparable in the United States. It's been a staple of the American economy for years. Um, everyone likes to compare consumer packaged good business to shoes or apparel or food. And there are similarities from a legal perspective and distribution and things like that. But for the most part, you're working within a fixed framework. Uh, I, my frame, the framework I'm working within changes every week. <laughs> okay. So ha having said that, because it is so fluid, how does that impact the athlete uh, the entertainer uh, involvement in the industry. You know, we know here in Canada, there can be no celebrity endorsement. So Seth Rogen, who owns his own cannabis company, can't actually endorse his own cannabis company as Seth Rogen, the celebrity. Um, I don't know if it's different for Seth Rogen, the actual person, but uh, it is what it is. So how does that impact the entertainers, the athletes that do want to get involved in this? So I think, Entertainers and athletes, there's a distinction to be made. So I'll start with athletes, which is a little bit more tied to the illegal component. And with athletes in all of their contracts, whether it's their playing contract with the Rangers, the Yankees, the Jets, etc., a lot of times they'll have certain clauses, morality clauses within their agreements that can impact their guaranteed money. Historically, you would be very hesitant to deal with any type of daily fantasy sports, any type of alcohol, certainly not cannabis. Now you're starting to see athletes become a lot more comfortable working with the DraftKings as the leagues themselves are, working with a FanDuel, um, the NFL, for example, has amended its rules related to NFL-sponsored beer companies, not wine or spirits. And um, there's language around what you can and can't do. You have to be six or more athletes. Uh, you can't technically be endorsing the product, but you can kind of be around the product. 
So with cannabis, all of that framework of kind of trying to prevent you from doing anything that's going to upset your contract is really the main deterrent for some of these athletes. That also is particularly true with the endorsement deals. So by no means an accurate comparison, but just in terms from a contractual perspective, Nike has suspended its agreement with Deshaun Watson, who is being accused of sexual assault. Now, where we stand today, comparing public cannabis use or endorsement to sexual assault is completely insane. Seven to 10 years ago from a lot of these companies, while the degree to which you're doing something that's going to upset them, it's not comparable, of course. Mm-hmm. But from a contractual termination perspective, it certainly could fall under that. And I think now with the way that cannabis is being talked about in the public eye, you're going to see less and less of those clauses, including cannabis. I think you're going to see those clauses excluding certain cannabis products. You're seeing it already. Patrick Reed in the Masters this weekend is sponsored by CBDMD, mm-hmm. a, a hemp CBD company. And I think you're going to see a lot of it moving forward, but kind of bringing it first a full circle. The main thing that all of these athletes are going to be cognizant of is their guaranteed money and their endorsement deals and their contracts and making sure that they're not violating what the league is expecting of them and what their brand partners are expecting of them on the entertainer side. Oh no, go ahead. No, no, that, that's fine. That, go ahead. Uh, keep going on, on the entertainer side, you really have seen a good amount of people uh, get into the space over the last few years and, and really hasn't been too deterred because there's the way that a musician or an actor or someone like a Martha Stewart can operate is a little bit more free than the athlete just because they are kind of their own person. They're not really tied to a league. They're the way sponsorships exist like that does does happen um, to an extent with certain entertainers. There, there are entertainers who are so much the focal point of an ad campaign or a company um, that I'm sure conversations need to be had to an extent about what you're going to do. Uh, but, but I don't think for the most part, particularly now, you're going to see too many entertainers deterred from working in cannabis because of federal illegality. And in the last six months, you've seen countless musicians, in particular actors, get involved. The way that you had uh, George Clooney get involved with tequila and Ryan Reynolds get involved in gin, LeBron James get involved in tequila. Um, I, I think you're going to see more and more of that moving forward. You know, it's it's interesting when you kind of talk about, uh, you know, there, there is obviously no comparison to sexual assault in cannabis and how that would be looked at differently today. I remember uh, the night Laramie Tunsil dropped in the NFL draft because that uh, gas mask bong picture came out. I almost wonder if, if that happened today, if the, if a player wouldn't drop as much, if, if the NFL teams would be like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. We most, you know, we most, uh, we know a lot of players today uh, use cannabis for, for that. And, you know, it's just interesting to see the, the kind of the, the perception changing a little bit. And, and, and that kind of leads us to why it's important to have athletes, um, you know, promoting responsible and safe products and, and cannabis use. Why is that important in your opinion? Absolutely. So I think first, just one one comment on the Laramie Tunsil issue. I think if you asked a lot of NFL teams, if that were to happen now, what their issue would be with it, it would be tied to the fact that 
they test for cannabis and will suspend players for cannabis use. So from their perspective, I think it's less of an individual indictment on cannabis and more of if I'm investing millions of dollars, I don't want to be worried that you're going to not be available because of your cannabis use. And we can talk about how ridiculous that is and, and hmm. my opinion on what the league should do. And um, But in terms of why it's important for athletes, I think there's a few reasons. I think number one, removing the stigma around cannabis is massive. Athletes are the most physically gifted, accomplished people from a from a public facing perspective. So you you do not have more physically fit active people in the public spotlight than professional athletes. And historically, the stigma around cannabis is that you're lazy, you don't do anything, you're you don't you don't achieve things, you're not hardworking, you're not motivated. So to me, there's no better person on the planet than a male or female professional athlete who gets behind the fact that they consume cannabis. I think the second part of the stigma is also around the medical aspect and ties a little bit into what I was alluding to with the NFL, where athletes from a pain management perspective consume cannabis. They have for decades, they will for decades, they do now independent of testing. What I would love to see happen is organizations in these leagues and the leagues themselves adopt cannabis as an alternative to the opioids that these players have been forced to take. And I think that aspect too through athletes with the United States in particular dealing with such a severe opioid crisis, athletes can be at the forefront of saying, I had pain, I had a surgery, a back surgery, a knee surgery, like a lot of average Americans do. And that's ultimately the main catalyst for a lot of addiction in the United States is some type of innocent surgery. And I can consume cannabis and it's going to help me. And I'm 6'4", 250 pounds. I tore my knee into 50 pieces and I can consume cannabis and I don't need to take these pills. Mm -hmm. And if people can and and people, you know, you're you're a huge sports fan, so you fully understand it. But to, to those who aren't. People really listen to athletes in, in a unique way. They're, they're some of the few remaining people that are in your life on a very regular basis. No one really watches all the same shows anymore. Even the most popular TV shows, the numbers are you know pale in comparison to 15 years ago. Most popular movies, not everyone watches it. But your sports teams within your city, within the country, I mean, those, those are the highest rated cable TV shows still. It is still a seminal water cooler moment, sports moments. And I think that's really, number one, the stigma, both from a historical cannabis stigma, also from a health perspective. I think number two is the access to capital that athletes have, mm -hmm. and not just financial capital, but political capital. I think there are few people who have the positive image in the public that I just described that also has access to the financial world, both their own financial success. And there's a huge synergy emerging over the last five years between venture capital and athletes, venture capital entertainers, um, but also the political capital. Sports team owners are very connected 
A lot of athletes themselves are connected to politicians. A lot of NBA players are very close with Barack Obama and have been uh, for a few years. Chris Paul is very, very close with Bob Iger, and they developed a friendship that is reminiscent of a mentor-mentee because Chris Paul wanted to seek out someone that he respected in the business world. And I think there's not that many different types of people who have the ability to reach all of those different worlds and come together for positive change, whether it's for legalization or for, and I think in a lot of ways, more importantly, from a criminal justice and social equity component, I think that moves into the third point for, for why I think athletes in particular and entertainers as well have such a big role in promoting cannabis and why it's so important is that, again, with all the capital they have, all the recognition they have and all the trust from the public they have, a lot of them are also connected firsthand to these communities that have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. And whether, depending on which type of community you came from, whether it was inner city, whether it was rural, all of these athletes come from varying places around the world, not just the United States, come from varying backgrounds, come together, get to listen to each other in locker rooms. And I think they have the ability to to really know the significance of what this is doing to their communities. And I also think a positive thing too, and, and we're starting to see it a little bit, is these league owners, uh, the team owners and, and the leagues themselves are also being forced by these players because these players shouldn't be doing it alone uh, to, to strive for the social equity that we need too. You know, I, I wrote an article for uh, the Ounce magazine, uh, OkanaganZ.com. People can find it. And it was uh, sports plus cannabis equals healthier athletes. And and I, I really do, you know, there was a, a fictional story that started it off about a, an NHL player having a punishing night. And instead of grabbing a six-pack or a Mickey, he grabs a, a CBD muffin or a THC muffin on the plane. And, and I really can't <laughs> wait to kind of see that scenario unfold at, at some point. And I know the NBA stopped testing for cannabis in the bubble and i believe they did it again uh, for the regular season uh, is there a, one of the big four nhl nfl uh, major league baseball or the nba that you think embraces the plant as as a possible replacement for opiates first the nba will absolutely be first on all things cannabis um we've seen it already i think adam silver is the most forward-thinking commissioner of the four major leagues I think the players have demonstrated uh, a want in a way that I think ultimately the commissioner's office, the team owners will respect. And I also think it's just a more progressive league. And when I say progressive, I mean it in the American political sense. Um, it, it is the more more progressive viewership, more progressive ownership, more progressive commissioner and cannabis use, legalization, acceptance is while widely accepted well over 60% approval in the U.S., is still sort of deemed a, a progressive issue. So I would say without question, the NBA, I'd, I'd be shocked if they brought back cannabis testing ever again. Yeah, I, I think uh, I tend to uh, agree with you in, in that sense. All right, uh, we always like to wrap up with uh, the same question. And by the way, uh, Dan and I are going to uh, continue the conversation on uh, Relevant, on the Cannabis 101 Vibe on Thursday, 5.30 p.m., 
Eastern Time, 3.30 p.m. Mountain Time, where I am, and of course, 2.30 p.m. Pacific Time. So we'll continue the conversation about sports, uh, entertainers, uh, cannabis, and uh, some cool things at Green Lane. But Dan, what do you think is the next big thing in cannabis? Here in Canada, we're going to be coming up in the fall to our third anniversary, and there's lots of things that people would like to see here in Canada. But what do you think is the next big thing, whether it's in the U.S. or, or maybe globally? So I'll say I'll I'll focus on the U.S. and I'll break it down into two answers. I'll say one on the product uh, consumer side and then one kind of on a more regulatory general side. On the product side, I think the in-person consumption lounge, when everything from COVID settles down, is actually going to be a huge thing. I think it's tough to look at it through the lens of the last 14, 15 months for all obvious reasons. But I think you're going to see a different type of young adult, adult in general, who is not going to want to necessarily go back to some of the bar, classic bar behavior, whether it's sports bar, whether it's just classic alcohol, friends, meeting a significant other bar. And I think you're going to see these quasi consumption lounges, restaurant, cannabis lounges, uh, movie theater lounges. I think all of these classic bars, restaurants, things of that nature are going to look to differentiate. I think that's going to be big. I think on the regulatory front, I think the the um, criminal justice component is really going to take a huge next step. I think you're seeing it with New York. They made such a concerted effort. I think you're going to see it wipe through the entire country. I think, unfortunately, um, and very sadly, there was another shooting um, in the United States of an, an unarmed young um, African-American male. And I think one way that we've seen, which is insufficient, but one way that we've seen that unites everyone around criminal justice and police reform is ending the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I I don't want things like that to be the reason that it happens, I think it's one thing that can bring everyone together around criminal justice reform. And I think it's hopefully over the next year going to take a big step forward. Yeah, hopefully that, uh, you know, and, and I've said kind of uh, legalization in Canada is great because I can go to the store and get a joint, come home. Nobody's calling the cops on me. Um, you know, two of the big things, and, and I used to only think about one of them until recently, but two of the big things that are going to be the biggest benefactor in legalization is the research that is being done and um, the criminal justice reform. People that had their lives destroyed because they were smoking a joint, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get some of that back. And, and for the future, people won't have to go through the same thing. And so those are the two things I think that ultimately are going to be the biggest thing is the more we know about the plant, the more benefits we can get from it and giving people hopefully some of their lives back because of, uh, you know, unjust uh, criminal laws around the plant. Yeah, the United States, the best research institutions in the United States, some of the best universities in the world can't do research on the plant because it's federally mm-hmm. illegal. And it is the equivalent of them doing research on heroin next to their chemistry lab. And it is it is such a loss for humanity at large when you see what's coming out of places like Israel from a research and development perspective, what we can do. And I'm hopeful we get there. 
Yeah, we have a guest uh, on a future show lined up who does research on cannabis, and, and that kind of analogy is it's almost easier to get heroin than it is to get cannabis when, when you're doing research. And that's in the country uh, where it's uh, federally legal, but uh, certainly that's for uh, another episode. Uh, so you can find information about Green Lane at www.gnln.com. Check out the cool brands that they represent and uh, see what else is going on. Dan, this has been so much, uh, so enlightening. I can't wait to keep the conversation going on Thursday on Relevant on the Cannabis 101 podcast vibe. Thank you so much and uh, enjoy the uh, the hockey playoffs when you get there in the, in Florida. You guys should have some fun this year. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. The, the Rangers are fun. Uh, I, I'm hopeful the, the post-Hank era is as exciting, but it's, it's tough to not see him in the net, I have to be honest. and follow us on social media at the Cannabis 101 on Twitter, at the Cannabis 101 podcast on Instagram, and at the Canna 101 podcast on Facebook. You can email us at Cannabis101podcast at gmail.com.